This is Mission.org. I'm Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Marketing Trends and the Leeds Art Week. Hello, and welcome to Marketing Trends. This is producer Ben Wilson. Today's episode features an interview with Stuart Conway. Stuart is the head of Central Marketing EMEA for Bank of Montreal Global Asset Management. Stuart is also a competitive skier and ski coach. In this interview, he talks about adapting to change, digital transformation, and how his formula for ski coaching called TTPPEE applies to marketing. It's a really great interview and has a ton of insights specifically for marketers who are looking to improve their leadership or coaching. A big thank you to Stuart for coming on the show. So without further ado, here is our interview with Stuart Conway. Marketing Trends is brought to you by Salesforce Pardot, B2B marketing automation on the world's number one CRM. Are you ready to take your B2B marketing to new heights? With Pardot, marketers can find and nurture leads, close more deals, and maximize ROI. Learn more by visiting pardot.com podcast, or click on the link in our show notes. Here is your host, Ian Faison. Welcome to Marketing Trends. I'm Ian Faison, Chief Content Officer here at Mission.org. And we have, on the other side, across the pond, I should say, Stuart, how's it going? Really good. Really good. Great to talk to you. Well, I guess, so, so where are you today? Where are you, where are you coming, coming from? I'm actually sitting in uh, sunny London here, um, just near, for those who know, in uh, right in the centre of, of London, in Liverpool Street, right in the kind of financial uh, centre, sitting up in uh, a nice office on the eighth floor, um, looking over to the sunny London. It's um, you know, we've got a bit of a heat wave over here at the moment, so it's uh, lovely. That is lovely. We, you know, it's funny. We we record from sunny San Francisco often, and I feel like uh, they probably have similar weather patterns where sometimes it's not so sunny. But today, you know, we have uh, have no complaints. It's a wonderful day, and we are excited to get into your background and and talk about some adapting to change, stepping into new situations, skiing, what you had for breakfast, and all things marketing. <laughs> so first, how'd you get into marketing? Uh, well, that's a, that's a great question to start with. And it's, um, I'm just going to go back a little bit because it, I'm going to say it was by accident, really. It started age five uh, when my parents took me skiing. And uh, skiing became a huge passion of mine. And uh, I know even at that time, people asked me, oh, what do you want to do when you grew up? And all I would say is I wanted to be a ski instructor, which I ended up doing through my whole time into that. And uh, I was lucky enough to kind of ski and teach in places like Australia, New Zealand, uh, the French Alps. I kind of went through all the qualifications to be a ski instructor, to be a race coach, and even get up to the point where um, you know, the pinnacle kind of actually training ski instructors to be ski instructors. So I was kind of set on this career path. And, and then one day I was um, teaching a group of instructors and, and one of them was an, uh, an account director, a big ad agency. And we started talking about what they did there, looking after these accounts and, and producing advertising and, and, and all this presenting they're doing. And um, she said, I think you'd be really good at working in advertising. So uh, when the ski season finished, I, I went along to the ad agency and met the, uh, the managing director and, and talked through them about what they actually did. And I was I had that kind of um, you know light bulb moment and that, that fire in my belly of this sounded just such an exciting uh, kind of career path to go down and left that initial discussion with a job offer. And that was where it all started. So then from that path onwards, I was now full-time in marketing. 
but still maintaining my hand in, in, in the ski side. And, and even today, 20 odd years later, I still teach skiing, but um, I'm full time working in marketing. I love that. And you have such a dedication to doing both. And, you know, it's funny, we talk to a lot of marketers that really love to be teachers, you know, that they kind of had a passion to be a teacher or were a teacher kind of early in their career. And it kind of speaks to like the state of marketing today where there's so much help that you can provide. There's so much, so many things that you can create for your customers and for, you know, just people in general. Do you kind of feel that, you know, your ski background and being able to coach skiing kind of helped you to, to be a better marketer? I do. And um, more so as digital became more and more key to marketing. And I think to start with, certainly from that ski coaching side of stuff is, you know, you're effectively presenting all the time, presenting ideas, presenting ways of thinking about things. And so, you know, when you're trying to get people excited about a marketing idea or present things forward, pitching the ideas for it, then, then that was a great grounding for it. But with digital now, it's changed for everyone. It's people have got to adopt to new ways of doing things. And as a result of that, that kind of change, coping with change, is effectively what you were doing all the time within teaching and, and coaching. You were continuously working with everyone from beginners all the way up to experts and actually getting yeah. them to actually adopt change and successfully embed it in what they do. So I think it's become more and more relevant for us over the last 10, 15 years uh, when digital has really come to the forefront and people trying to grapple with new tools and, and a completely changing environment, the way we do things. So one of the early lessons that I got in skiing, which may or may not be correct at all. So to put this into perspective, I was very bad at skiing for my entire life. I was kind of just like, you know, go down the hill fast for downhill and then uh, my brother-in-law, who's from New Zealand, who's a really good skier, taught me that basically, you know, you have to, what is it? I sh shoot, I don't even remember now. Uh, is it, you sit, you want to sit farther back or is it forward? It, whichever one it is, it feels less comfortable. Which one is it? Well, actually, the true answer is you want to be centered. It's what you tend to get is you get people, because you're moving down the hill speed tends to move you into the back and you're kind of whoa, hanging in the back because speed, you know, you're not used to moving as a human while you stand still. So people see people leaning back and the immediate perception is you want to lean forward. But actually it's, it's kind of that context, isn't it? Again, it, they'll hear instructors saying lean forward, but it's not lean forward. It's come to the center. And that's a, that's a great question you're asking there because I think, with all the stuff we do in, in digital and marketing is that, um, you know, sometimes people pick up a little bit and think that's the answer where they haven't actually fully understood the full context of what's going on. We can too quickly jump to a conclusion without kind of seeing the full, you know, the full background of what's occurring. I think that's a really important point. Yeah. And so where I was going with that was that you feel comfortable when you're sitting back on your skis a little bit because you're like one well, closer to the mountain, but you're just, you're not going to be as good. And I, the other piece is like, you know, staying using your skis and staying on your edges. I think that's a thing too, that some of these things just like kind of just like marketing where it feels a little unnatural 
to leave where you would feel more safe. Like, well, if I'm farther back, you know, like I'm not going to fall as bad, but you know, inherently you have to risk a little bit. And I, I love the idea of staying centered and not kind of go, go too far one way or the other. Yeah. And I think when you said that, I mean, it, it's really interesting because of when you um, fully understand how to change an individual, say from a ski perspective, you can take a beginner and you can take them on very easy step-by-step progression that manifests in, in quite radical change for, you know, from, from walking onto a mountain with this crazy kit, these crazy slopes, this crazy environment, to suddenly being able to ski down beautiful turns from the top of a hill, which they'd never expected. But then you could take a, a racer, uh, and a, a ski instructor, where you need to change what they're doing, or even an advanced skier who's used to doing it away. They can get down the slope. They can get down most of the mountain. But there's certain things they can't do. They can't progress further. They want to be able to ski off piece. They see these pits of people in the powder floating down. They want to do that. But they can't because of it's comfortable in doing what they're doing. They want to change. They think they want to change. But then they don't because they still like the culture, what they can do, and they can still do you know, it pretty well where they are. I think that's a, it's a, sorry, it's a great parallel to the digital world because of – you know, in marketing, a lot of us have been doing what we're doing for a lot of years and we're invested in being experts in how we do it. And it's brave to to change. It's brave to kind of take, you said, that that risk and kind of, right, okay, I'm going to throw it out there and try something new. And even if it doesn't feel good to begin with, I'm going to keep working with it until I start to embody that change and it, and it occurs. And I think that's, that's what I see a lot of, you know, we are effectively in marketing and digital and, and how we're making transformation organizations. We're working with a lot of experts. Pretty much everyone is, especially decision makers who are maybe kind of deciding on, you know, we're going to put in some new kit or have a new marketing approach. Those decision makers are probably very much experts in what they're doing. Yeah. You know, it, it reminds me of a, of a golf analogy that I was talking to a golf pro and they were saying for a professional golfer to change one thing about their swing, it takes two weeks working all day, every day to change that one thing. So, you know, when you go to the range for an hour and you're trying to work on four different things on your swing, you know, there's a reason why you can't master it. And I think that the lesson there for marketers is, is the same where it is. If you're trying to change someone's behavior, you know, I think it was uh, Joe Polizzi from the Content Marketing Institute that you know, you need to do something 66 times in order for you to change your behavior. Well, if you as a marketer are trying to get someone to change their behavior, you need to be able to commit to that for a long term. It needs to be something repeatable and it can't be something that you say, you know, hey, we did this ad one time or, you know, we showed them this one thing or they came to one event. It's just not going to get the job done. No, completely. You're right. I think that's... You know, that, that, that repetition, and, and I mean, as, as leaders or, you know, whether the, the strategy you're leading that, that change is, um, yeah, it's it help people stay focused on, on doing that too, too often. We kind of start throwing a whole range of try this, try that, do this. That's, and people can't capture all those things and, and try and do it all at once. It's got to be, you know, relatively simple to start with. And so just focus on that, that, that one thing and start off with the the skiing about leaning back etc you know or, or where you stand on your skis is it's got to be the right thing if we ask someone to be down the hill leaning leaning forward they'd keep crashing using that corrective term because someone's leaning back maybe they'll come to the center so you're leaning so far back 
Let's lean forward, lean forward a bit more until they get to the center, and that's perfect. You yeah. wouldn't keep pushing it and saying, keep going forward, keep going, you know, a ski with your nose touching the snow at the front, it just wouldn't, it just wouldn't work. Well, clearly I need some uh, instruction because uh, I couldn't even remember it off the top of my head. So we'll have to next time uh, I come to the UK. I, I don't know what I don't know what your hourly rate is, but we'll we'll figure out uh, we'll figure out something. Yeah, I think you guys have probably got the better mountains over there, but um, you know maybe we can meet in the middle of Europe. <laughs> that's yeah, that's a good point. Okay, so let's. I want to get into kind of what what your role is at Bank of Montreal. What is the scope of work that you all are doing? You're doing some amazing things with marketing, with marketing automation. I'd love to just dive into what does your team look like and how do you view marketing for Bank of Montreal? No problem. So, I mean, so first of all, I mean, the, the Bank of Montreal is um, for those in North America, Canada and your side, is obviously very well known. So it's a high street bank. Over this side, we are the global asset management division. So it's people's investments. You know, we look after anything, obviously, from the end investor through to intermediaries, your financial advisors to large institutions, your pension funds, etc. So, you know, what's interesting is the asset management side here used to be called it's called foreign and colonial, which actually came up with one of the first collective investments over 150 years ago. So it's got the spirit of a very entrepreneurial firm in the financial services space. My team is uh, responsible for, it's kind of like a, it's, it's a central marketing agency. You know, it covers all the kind of core competencies, the, the key skills. We have digital teams, we have content teams, we have sponsorship teams, designers, etc. And I guess our main remit is, is twofold. One, it's to, to support the different divisions and how they're, they're, they're communicating with their clients. Also, it's looking at the strategy across all of that. So from um, an asset management side, you know, we're looking at everything from the efficiency of marketing, the whole operation, to you know, how we can communicate better with our clients, how we can add more value to them. And as a result of that, we start to look at the, the technology and the processes that we have in place and how we can um, you know, redefine those and or, or re-implement new tools. A lot of these projects will either be led from, say, the US or Canada or, or from us in EMEA. A bit from an EMEA perspective, we're always grappling with lots of different languages, lots of regulation at the same time. But when we're putting global scalable solutions, it's quite a good central place to work from because we have all those kind of moving dynamics to put into the strategy. But um, I said, as a team, we are we are focusing on you know there's a lot of pressure for services organisations, especially asset managers, to to look at their value for money for clients. So there's obviously pressure on cost. So I said we're focusing a lot on technologies as how we can improve that efficiency from end to end in servicing our clients. And also I think as well is, especially from an investment perspective here, it's um, investments is, it's a purchase where you need a high degree of trust. You know, someone's going to give you something and expect in the future to get more back than they gave you. So, you know, this is really about good communication with your clients, knowing your clients, timely, relevant communications, so you can build that trust and build their understanding of what you're doing. So at the moment, so we're looking at a whole range of uh, 
new technology and transformation from from websites to sales payment platforms, you know, root and branch. I want to talk about, you know, your team and, you know, when you came into the role, how you prepare. You have a rigorous preparation um, schedule for you personally with, you know, being active in skiing and triathlons. Actually, let's start with what did you have for breakfast this morning? Because it's something that we always do in the pre-interview process, <laughs> but this is pretty good. I think you've been primed with this question because of um, – because so of Ben, I I, I, I always love because I think I have about five breakfasts a day, and that moves on to a steady stream of lunch and into dinner. And uh, that's not because of I uh, gorge myself on on food, but um, I, I get up at four o'clock six days a week to probably start training on my turbo on my bike. So my first breakfast is on the bike. Then uh, I uh, get down to the train station, go to the train, and, and normally I'm starting my second breakfast, which is around some fruit and some cereal on the train, followed by getting off the train and putting in a run towards the office. So uh, when I get in the office, we've got breakfast number three is uh, fast approaching, and then again, that's some more cereal porridge and some fruit. And then by the time I've kind of got my diary set up, then um, it's kind of coffee and a pastry as a treat. And uh, this is before nine o'clock. So as you imagine, lunch is still way off by by midday. So uh, normally there's a, a, an 11Z coming in as well. And that will be anything I lay my hands on, to be honest, about, at that point. And sometimes my team know I'm kind of heading around the desk trying to look at who's got some fruit or uh, or something that I can, I can uh, pick up on. I love it. 11Zs. My, uh, somewhere my, my girlfriend is smiling. She loves 11Zs and uh, I, we need to spend more time in, in the UK. It, um, it, 11Zs turns into actually pinching my lunch. You know, if I can't find anything, I haven't bought enough stuff in, then, then normally you, you, you actually start on your lunch at 11, which actually causes you a deficit in the afternoon. So you've got to go scavenging again. And the reason why I think it's it's so interesting to be that, you know, to be that regimented, to have that type of preparation, to really know what it takes, I think is something that sometimes marketers struggle with. You struggle with being constrained because you, you know, have to be creative. You have to do both those things. So when you when you came into the role of BMO, how did you look at coming into that team, figuring out like what are the things that you wanted to work on first? What were the things that you wanted to make sure that, you know, the team was was thinking about, was focused on, and how to add some rigor into that process? It's, it's very much, I mean, you mentioned that discipline and focus was really high up on the agenda. And that's, that's from two sides. One is we're, we're a relatively small team compared to the competition. Uh, and I mean, competition when we say looking at other fund managers of a similar kind of geographical uh, representation, they've got to cover uh, fund size, et cetera. And so what we have to kind of look at there is we have to be very disciplined in how we utilize our resource. What are you working on? When briefs are coming in, is the brief spot on so we don't have to then kind of go back and, and redo it? How many edits are we doing during that briefing or review process? tracking that information, tracking who's requesting information, um, sorry, who's, re who's requesting work to be done. When it's getting through to the point where obviously we're in a highly regulated environment, uh, your marketing material has to be reviewed by a compliance and side to actually make sure you know, it's fit for purpose to go out. 
is it right when it hits them? Do we have to redo it again? So it's, it's been very much about getting the guys into a very disciplined state of good briefs, discipline about the review process, ensuring you're getting all the right input all the way through and actually tracking what you're doing. You know, we work in the, I said, asset management, as you know, and it's, um, it's about the numbers. The business communicates on numbers. And so one of the things I started doing is, is actually allow us to have the same language as the business to change uh, our engagement with the business. So talking about real metrics, what are we delivering as a result of our marketing activity? What is the kind of opportunity cost of spending too much time in making edits in one area? What could we have done with that time if, if we hadn't been, you know, uh, not as efficient there, we said that we, you know, how we're feeding comments back. And then the focus, again, being very focused on the key products that we are talking about, supporting the sales team, et cetera. So, so those two were crucial all the way through. But the other bit as well was actually changing the team to ensure that they were, um, a lot of people talk about agile marketing and team being more agile. But for me, it was, okay, we're going to be putting in a lot of new tech or the new tools, changing the way we do things, changing our process. And a lot of the time people come in from a digital perspective or just from, a, from technology and, and look at a new tool that's got to come into marketing, a new way of doing it. And we're so focused on putting the technology in and ensuring it works that we forget the peopleware aspect, not the software, the peopleware. How, how are these people going to adopt it? How are they going to learn to use it? And again, this does link back to that ski analogy and what I learned there was very much how do I create a, a ski group being my team of 18, 20 people immediately in my, in my team? How do I create a group that are they're ready to learn? They feel safe to learn. They feel safe to, to, to take risks, but risks that aren't business risks that are you know, going to be detrimental to, to us as a whole business, but they have an area to play in. It doesn't matter if they fall over. They'll learn from that. How do you build all that in? So focus and discipline were key, but I would certainly add in it was to create a resilient team and a culture of, of learning. Yeah. Were there any things that you did to kind of foster the creative side with kind of like all of those constraints and all that discipline? You know, like you said, you, you wanted people to feel like they could take risks, you know, within the constructs of a, of a heavily regulated industry. But with those constraints, possibly there are opportunities to be creative. Yeah, well, I think it's, it's, an, it's an interesting one because of you're asking how could we be more creative. Creative, I think, is um, it's obviously a broad term. We, we work in an industry where people expect a certain style of communication. And so you are slightly constrained by that. But I think where I've got the guys to be more creative is in their approach to each of the communication sides. So, for example, it's we need to communicate or we need our fund managers to communicate how they're running the money. And a lot of time, asset managers find it really hard to actually come up with, with some communication from the fund managers that actually is, uh, is rich enough that people want to engage with. Well, started to look at the creative process of what are all the different touch points with the asset managers? What, what different meetings do they have? What conversations do they have? How can we tap into that hidden communications capital that's out there 
and actually create something far more engaging rather than just a on a monthly basis, we'll sit down with the fund manager and, and work out what they want to say because sometimes they're not ready for it. So we can be creative in our approach or which actually yields some deliveries from, from that side. Yeah. Are there any unique ways that you use to partner with the business or things that you've done to kind of build capital with the business side? Because, you know, especially in an area where it's so personalized and every single person who's working in asset management really has a huge responsibility on their shoulders. I'm sure they're looking to marketing for all sorts of different things, not necessarily just traditional, you know, marketing assets. What I think for leaders in marketing is what I tend to do is I I look at my network, my network as far as the social, but the network within the organization. And one of the filters I put on it when I'm looking around is I'm kind of looking at, I'm putting people into a couple of different camps, kind of looking at who do I think is very much kind of a bit of an innovator, a bit of someone who's really can kind of think laterally and, and, and prepared to do that. And, and not quite blue sky thinking, but you know, it shows those kind of traits. And there's other people who, who are very much kind of, uh, can see some of the issues with things. I kind of always kind of, well, yeah, but we can't do that because of this or, you know, the reason I'm saying this is because of one of the approaches I kind of look to with the team is that if you want to make a change and actually come up with something innovative, you don't want to mix those two groups of people up. You kind of often, you kind of go, right, we want to do a new project or a brand new kind of creative strategy and we're going to bring all these people in and sometimes like, oh, they should be involved because of they represent this stakeholder or, or this area of expertise. That's fine. They may know the subject matter, but we've now mixed up their kind of personality traits between being an innovator and a real blue sky thinker to someone who kind of looks at some of the minutiae detail. And I've separated them out in the network. So when we are looking at doing something new, bring the innovators in to start with. Bring those people who can really think laterally and don't need a piece of paper with something on it already. Do they prefer a blank piece of paper or something with some lines already drawn on it? Those people with a blank sheet of paper are great. You start to get up and what you need to get to is that kind of straw man that's broken the mold first. It's not a case of this is what I did somewhere else. Let's now slightly change it. They're kind of coming up with something new. Once you've got it to that kind of straw man, you think, wow, this is, we're looking at it from a different perspective, whether it's a strategy or a campaign. Then you can bring in those other ones that kind of, as I'd call them, the pressure testers. Those who go, ah, now I can see this straw man that you've built. There's a few things you need to chip off the side to make it work. And then they fine tune it to make sure it fits within the organization. And I think that's, for, for me, that's kind of a key approach to doing it because if you bring those pressure testers in too quickly, you never get your straw man because <laughs> they can't yeah. kind of see where, where the change to it. So a big tip is kind of looking at how you separate those people out. How do you work on the different communication strategies within the team based off of being in a multicultural, you know, having your customers or your clients be from all sorts of different countries? I, I'd always, I always imagine that EMEA is such a challenge 
for everybody, but specifically in financial services where there's, you know, so many more regulations that making sure that you're doing the right thing and being, you know, across multi-language and all of that is, do you have any best practices there? Yeah. I mean, we, uh, you need to always bring in, if you're doing a global campaign to actually test it with some of the local markets, be it from, if you've got it translated, say even just copy translated from, uh, an agency or someone else, just having a, a native to review it can bring stuff up. But yeah, working in EMEA across all those, you've always got to be mindful of those um, cultural traits or how different words can mean different things. Even when you're kind of producing documents that, say, for example, when you get translated to German, you know that it's going to, um, the contents can actually grow in size. The words tend to be longer. So your position of how you design the document is to take that in mind. But again, that comes down to the discipline at the brief at the start. You know, if, you, if you start the brief and go, right, we want something that's going to span these regions, then you can build that in right at the front. Okay, we need to make sure we kind of think from a, a German perspective as well as across Austria into these. So which who do we need to bring into that team to be thinking about what we're doing? To add in later on, can cause a major hiccup because suddenly you put something in and it means something completely different in a different market or you haven't designed a template to kind of include that kind of level of translation. So always being mindful of the, again, it's the discipline of the brief at the start, making sure people spend time at the start and being really clear as to what they want to achieve and, and, and actually so spending that time and thinking about it and having a conversation with different people yields far better results at the end. What do you think about the current digital landscape and what marketers like kind of can expect going forward? Well, I think there's a, it's so broad, isn't it? At the moment, you know, there's so many new things and be it from tool perspective or, or the way in which we're, we're behaving as humans, which is going to change the way we communicate and, uh, and market, talk to our clients. But I think, for me, there's, there's a couple of things. There's one side that's very much around, you know, the, the, the connectivity and how that is changing uh, across this space. But also as well is what excites me is really the, the fact that many of us are going to become, especially from a marketing perspective, superheroes. You know, for anyone kind of, you know, got all the Marvel movies, this is really exciting. For me, Iron Man, the kind of concept of, He's the only superhero kind of that wraps himself around with the suit that allows us to do amazing things. I think that's what a lot of the technology is starting to allow us to do. Marketing automation is allowing such amazing insight to be drawn together and actually create that better connection with our clients, service them in a different way. So there's some really exciting stuff. And I think that's, that's changing radically how we do it. And a lot of these tools have to be wrapped around us, just like that exoskeleton. And the people who can get in, start to work with this technology and really make it fit tightly and neatly around them like a suit or their organization, are really going to change the way we do stuff. But on the other side, I do think that it, this is causing quite a lot of anxiety, nervousness, and nervousness around competition and everything. I think there's a lot of people I talk to who are, they're anxious because of, say, their role as digital leaders. Is it, it's ever-expanding. They almost yeah. need to feel they know everything, every new platform, every new technique. They're nervous about keeping up with everybody. They're nervous about 
hearing how's the competition doing. They sound like they're doing better than me. They sound like they're progressing faster. So I think it's it's really interesting time between excitement and opportunity and kind of, you know, the other side to do with the, the, the nervousness and the anxiety that's caused a lot of uh, marketing leaders. Yeah, I mean, how do you keep up with technology like are you you know going obviously you, you travel quite a bit but are you involved in the startup scene are you going to conferences are you you know listening to podcasts like what are the what are the activities that you're doing to keep up with you know the pace of innovation it's a, it's a really interesting question and i think that there's so many different providers of, of information for you to pick that up on, on ladies tool as you said or all these different bits. honestly i i find it overwhelming like i'm sure a lot of my peers and so what i've tended to do is i'm a big believer in your social network and people you trust and so i have a number of different it's it's more than a number of different individuals but people blogs etc but people in my network who almost act as a filter they already pre they know what i'm interested in We've talked a lot, and it's 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 in the, it's in the granularity and the detail of the conversations as to where my interests lie, and trying to find and provide me with tools or strategies or other people who are talking with a kind of similar interest, a common interest, a kind of common purpose, and a kind of common language, because I think too often you kind of someone says, "Oh, this is a new tool," and you go, "Well, it's great." but I've, it's just not relevant to what I'm doing at the moment in, in my workplace. Yeah, this would be fantastic, but um, you know, we know, we know we're near putting in something like that. So I think for me, I kind of I said, I surround myself with a social network of individuals who I have conversations with, we're talking, we're sharing ideas and stuff. And so they tend to provide stuff, send you an ink, go, have you seen this? This is really relevant to our conversation the other day. And that keeps us, keeps you topical and relevant around what's going on. You know, we talked to a lot of marketing leaders that have those kind of like close circles, whether it's the WhatsApp channels or, you know, Slack threads or, you know, text message chains or whatever it is, you know, as you're keeping up with other colleagues in the marketing world, how do you think that they're preparing themselves for this kind of constant digital transformation? It's interesting. And I, Unfortunately, too often you've got a mix of some who are just throwing budget at it. Yeah, you know, it, it's let's put a new tool in, Let, let's change what we're doing and, and put a new tool there, or let's change an individual at the top who can make that change for us. And so, they're very, very common approaches to it. It's not working as we need now, let's throw more money at it or, or put someone new in. And I think. I don't think they're the solution. They said is that, you know, one is that the big organizations tend to be in and you've got a lot of people in there already. And you obviously want to look at maintaining your, your, your team and the tenure of these individuals and developers. So, so you've really got to look at, you know, I said, I said before that the people were asked, but how, how are you going to continuously change and continuously want to learn and adapt because of, you know, well, you might put a new piece of tool in today and, the five people immediately using it are fantastic at it. But as that tool changes or as a new platform comes in or a new piece of technology connects to that, will they keep up with that? Will they be stuck in the way they've, they've always used it? And one minute you're an innovator by putting this piece of technology 
two years later, you're a laggard because if you haven't adapted with it and taken on the new versions and moved with that platform. So for me, I, it's the culture and it's the team, the individuals, it's how you, how you, how you focus on the people. Are there any marketing technologies that you're really excited about or nervous about going forward that potentially you're, you want to kind of either get your hands on or see where, see where they're going? Um, yeah, I mean, one that I'm, I'm a bit very passionate about, you mentioned it before, but is, is the whole world of marketing automation. You know, I think, and to use that analogy of, of, of Iron Man, is I'm super excited by the fact that marketing sales getting closer together in this aspect of how do we engage and get to know our clients better? How do we, how do we share that knowledge? And as clients we're dealing with, there's, there's the physical touch points, the digital touch points, but how do we really start to, to uh, utilize all that information, all that kind of collective intelligence and actually start to, to deliver better communications that are more aligned to the client and, and more efficiently, you know, moving towards, everyone keeps saying that, that, that one-to-one communication rather than when I started to say that ad agency would be your big, one big poster on a prime site that's talking to everyone. You know, this is, this is really exciting. I think, um, you know, certainly again, tailoring those, uh, Iron Man suits around all the marketeers is, is, is an area that I'm, I'm, I'm super excited by. And a lot of the platforms in that space are converging, kind of adding other platforms outside from marketing automation to, to the CRM systems, to uh, website dynamic content on the websites. It's all converging into kind of one area where kind of strong, you know, central positive all that intelligence, intelligence can really start to, uh, yields and benefits. How do you approach change and continuous education within your team with all of these, you know, technologies and, and different things coming about? That one there, I'm going to draw straight into, I guess, the, the world of, of ski teaching and change that we used to do there. And it's, you know, we've just recently put some technology platforms in and it was so evident because it wasn't us leading. And it was so evident to me where the team leading that implementation had completely mixed up the teaching styles or the coaching styles I'd put in. And there's something, there's uh, there's, a, there's basically, if anyone wants to look, there's Moston's teaching styles. And Moston's teaching styles go from a kind of command, very autocratic approach at the start where you say maybe dealing with people who don't have much knowledge of something, beginners, et cetera all the way up to more of a kind of guided discovery route where you're kind of working with experts who've got a lot of knowledge and trying to get them to find that change and facilitate that learning so they actually feel it and actually start to incorporate that change in them. And there's about, I think, eight different ones on a scale right from the bottom one up to the top. Knowing those and starting to use those in your team as you're trying to make change can yield a, some huge wins and real, real embedded change. But if they're used wrongly because you don't know them, it can also cause issues. So to give you an example, can you imagine if you're working with a group of experts on, you know, we need to put this platform in and, and make this change. Quite often where people fail is they're going, they're very, as I said, 
very command or is do this. You need to change this. You need to work in this way. And the experts kind of reject it because of its, it's kind of, it's not invented here or that kind of syndrome. Whereas if you move down that scale, as I mentioned, towards the guided discovery, where you have even divergent or convergent, you can actually start to facilitate them learning, setting up tasks where they feel something and go, actually, yeah, I, this is what I found out. You're encouraging them to adopt that and actually feel that they invented some of that change. So that's when it works really well. And in between, we've done lots of things, so just buddying people up. But on the, on, the, on the flip side is recently we had something where we were putting in new technology and the, the team, not my team here, the team that were brought in to actually help implement it, jumped straight to almost that guided discovery with a group of people who had no concept of the tool, how a tool like this could work, et cetera. And they're in this kind of guided discovery mode. And people had no context, no, no background, nothing to draw on. They were dropped in the middle of that swimming pool in not knowing how deep it was, where the sides were, where to go, et cetera, rather than taking them in through the steps at the start, making them feel the water, get used to it, splashing around, sitting on the steps, kind of slowly moving out from there. And so it, it, it didn't work. So I think Mosler's teacher style was a great one, but certainly from our side, kind of looking at that and actually assessing what change are you trying to put in and who are the individuals that I'm uh, dealing with? Yeah. Were there any other, you know, experiences in athlete or as a coach that helped, you know, prepare your marketing team for change and that kind of balance between safe and risky? Because I think that that's, you know, that's part of the elemental nature of, of athletics is, you know, the thing that is risky to do is oftentimes the thing that allows you to learn and grow faster. But at the same time, you know, you don't want to, again, you don't want to get too, too far ahead of your skis or <laughs> to play the enough. No, exactly. And I think, you know, say for example, in a, in, a, in a mountain ski environment, you constantly work in a position where, where situations will change, right? the, the conditions change, the weather comes in suddenly now, you know, people can't see where they're going. You could lose a class on the hill. You have to switch very quickly into a different scenario where before you maybe been very exploratory and they were sliding down the mountain, testing stuff on their own. You'd meet at the bottom of the lift. Now the visibility is coming. Now you want to be very, this is what we're going to do, guys. I want you to go to that point there and you become very command orientated to what you're doing, very prescriptive with short tasks to do. And I think that, that certainly in the business environment, You've got to be prepared. You've got to be aware of the weak signals where things change. Looking at things from people's feedback, having, having communication with different people, hearing through the grapevine what people are feeling about something, spotting new stakeholders coming in. So it's being aware of all the different things that can change something from being, as we said, relatively safe two things getting riskier and, and who's going to inform you what those weak signals are, but then being prepared to switch your approach rather than just continue down the way you were doing it. And this is where people, I think, kind of can uh, come unhooked sometimes with, with delivery of new technology or implementation of stuff where they've chosen an approach and they're not seeing the weak signals that actually it's become more risky. Timelines have come in. Uh, there is a change request that's coming and, and they have to incorporate that, but they don't change what they're doing. And the other bit I would say is um, 
his analogies in teaching skiing and uh, in, in that environment, one thing I learned was that you used to meet your clients in the morning or whenever they were first lesson, start chatting with them, say, Ian, you know, how are you, where'd you come from? You know, what do you do as a job? Um, and on that first chairlift up, you'd find a lot about them. What makes yeah. them tick? You know, they're an accountant, they're a teacher, they're a doctor. And then when you're starting to explain things and get to think about what you wanted them to do, to use those analogies. So you're actually starting to change your language to something they can identify with. And I think those, those languages, that, that those are analogies that paint rich pictures have worked really well for us. I remember when uh, I was at a previous place and we were talking about marketing automation. And, you know, when you start to use that term with a sales team, it was really dry. You know, they, they certainly weren't, weren't that excited even if you talked about it. But when I started to talk around, you know, this, these great capabilities, almost superhero type capabilities, imagine, imagine Iron Man. You all know Iron Man. Imagine we're going to put a suit around you. This suit's going to allow you to do so much more. You're going to be stronger. You're going to be flying. You're going to be, you'll know what your clients are, are engaging with. You're going to get all this intelligence that can make you rich, you know, fast decision-making, et cetera. You know, something before the end of it, they're asking for suits in black, green, red, you know, et cetera, rather than just kind of, um, yeah, this market automation project sounds interesting. So, yeah, analogies was, uh, was another big one that I think really, really helps with uh, communicating with people and getting them engaged. What are some of the most common situations you see when a marketing leader steps into a new role? And are there any kind of frameworks that you use in order to optimize and, and figure that stuff out more quickly than, you know, kind of the, the traditional way of just kind of stepping in and, and doing the classic first 90 days situation. I mean, I talked about analogies, which is a, is a big thing for me. I, too often, the classic I would see is that, a, you know, a new marketing leader comes in, they, they jump in the pool with a big splash and then grab hold of the side. And yeah. the analogy I'm doing there is that's it. They come and they go, right, I'm going to make a big change. Bam, they go in with a huge, huge big splash. But they keep one hand on the side. They, want, they, they know what they did before or you did at the previous organization or how it worked there. And too quickly, you kind of start, start your big splash with one hand on where you knew you were before from a previous organization. And it's kind of the playbook mindset, right? Of like, hey, I'm bringing in my playbook and this is what I'm going to run rather than exactly. kind of like, yeah. And, it. and it's every, everything is different. You know, you may think that, okay, that looks familiar, but everything's different. And certainly, uh, you know, they said I train for the British Association of Ski Instructors, which trains all the ski instructors uh, that come out of Britain across Europe. And we have something in there called TP. And that's two T's, two P's, and two E's. And uh, basically, it's a framework for evaluation. It's a framework that we give beginner instructors to actually, when you first go in, how to assess what you think is going on and what change you think you need to make with an athlete or, or an individual. And I go through what they are, but it's important because, of, as I said, too often I see people coming in and they, they'll see one thing, like you mentioned before right at the top of the, uh, the interview, Someone's leaning back. Okay. So someone's leaning back. So you start giving all this lean forward. You've got to do and You know, they're, they're not listening. They're not changing. And you're going and you're going. And you know what you missed? Their boots are undone. They haven't done their boots up, but you didn't yeah. even spot it because you weren't looking at it. So it's that kind of simple thing that I'm talking about. So TP 
in the, from the ski side is, is, is technical, tactical, psychological, physical, equipment, and environment. So they're what I'm saying. You, know, you see someone skiing, you think, oh, wow, they're leaning back. How can they ski? And you, you're trying to do all this correction. But maybe their boots are on, their equipment is not right. Or, you know, I said that chairlift and that tall cup, those first few minutes of that meeting that person and having questions, and you find that they've got something physically wrong with them that doesn't allow them to do that, doesn't allow them to bend at the ankle as you want to. And if you hadn't had that conversation, you wouldn't have found that out and you'd been heading down a route to try and make them change. So those things fit all the way across. You know, from a, from a technical perspective, you know, in our business environment, we're kind of looking at, do people have the, the, the technical skills? Does the team I'm walking in, do they have the skills to do this? No, they've never been taught the skills. Or, okay, they need that. You know, tactical. Have they got the processes or, or approach to actually do, do they understand different approaches? Are they fixed to one? Is it, is it how they're approaching it? Psychological. You know, how many times before you've got people and you actually find out that they've been a bit, reticent towards this change because it didn't work before or they had a bad experience of this drilling into that you know it, 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 the equipment they don't have the right equipment that need ipads for this the computers don't work the environment the culture the, the whole kind of you know how the business operates this doesn't work in that way so that's an example i think of you know when you come in don't jump in the middle of that pool walk into the pool Start to feel how deep it is. Start to feel where the sides are. Start to understand through your conversation everything that's going on and don't predetermine what you need to do. Do all your checks, all your evaluations, get it all in, and then start to apply the knowledge that you've got from your previous roles over the top of that. Yeah, I love that analogy. And it reminds me of uh, my brother who is in physical therapy talked about one time that there's this case study of a pitcher who like was hurting their elbow when they were pitching. And basically his pitching motion motion was just continually putting too much on his elbow. And they like couldn't figure out why his elbow was hurting. And when they kept peeling back the onion of like, well, this and this and this, and like going all the way out from the injury that finally it turned out that he had stubbed his toe the previous week. And so because he's had stubbed his like left toe, that's where you plant when you're pitching. And so because he couldn't put the weight on his toe, cause that hurt, he was shortening his motion, which puts, you know, extra emphasis on your elbow. And I, I think, you know, I love the, the TP analogy because you're totally right that when you're in that moment and it's very hard to self-diagnose yourself of what's going on, you need to be able to to look at the broader, you know, ecosystem of things that could be affecting the way that you do something like, Hey, maybe you don't run programmatic ads because you had a bad experience doing that. Or maybe your CEO hates, you know, video projects because you got, you know, killed on a video project at some point in time, but there's all sorts of different things that could be at play. Or maybe one of the business units, you know, hates events because, you know, they have a, a one-year-old at home and they don't want to leave they're one-year-old. There's all sorts of different kind of components that go into that stuff. Exactly. You know, and it's, it's totally it's different. A, that kind of pre-flight or that evaluation model before you actually start to uh, 
come up with a, a strategy or an approach when you first join is, is crucial because that, that way you're going to get them far better results that actually stick. And, you know, even if you're bringing in someone to work for you to do that, I always get my different team heads when they come in to exactly go through that kind of process in their induction meeting and greeting and kind of going around to actually do that saying, come back to me and go, I've gone through all this. I've thought about this before. I've quickly come to what I like to do. So encourage your team to have a far more rigorous, again, it's a rigorous disciplined approach to evaluation and, you know, change is, it's key. Let's get into the lightning round. These questions are fast and easy, just like marketing automation with Pardot. You can go to pardot.com slash podcast to learn more about B2B marketing with the world's number one CRM. We love Pardot. You should love Pardot. Check them out. Lightning round questions. Stuart, are you ready? I'm ready. <laughs> number one, what app are you using on your phone that is the most fun? Ooh, uh, Strava. <laughs> With all oh, my yeah. triathlon stuff, constantly looking at my, uh, my segments and my uh, PBs and all that kind of stuff. We get Strava actually quite a bit. It's a, it's extremely popular. <laughs> that's that's um, next to my fitness pal, checking all of the food that I'm doing. So unfortunately, I have to train a lot to make sure I can have those five breakfasts. <laughs> that's right. What's your uh, favorite vacation spot in the UK? Favorite vacation spot? Well, I'm lucky enough. I, I, I live in Brighton on the uh, south coast, which is directly one hour from London. I live there, but um, my wife and I, sometimes when we get away from the kids, go to a hotel there in Brighton and actually uh, enjoy being in Brighton as a tourist and uh, enjoying it without uh, being mummy and daddy. So, uh, Brighton. I love it. That's great. The old staycation. Um, The old staycation. What is one of your favorite ad campaigns you've ever done? Oh, God, make me think across all of those that's a difficult one uh we once did an advert for press adverts for a launch of um we, we have things over here called ices which are savings investments uh, it's kind of a, a wraparound savings scheme and there was a new mini ISA that was being launched right at the start and uh, I remember we were, we were looking at a, a product that had lots of different funds within this mini ISA. And so we had all these high-powered, high, these fund managers, and um, we were trying to see how many we could fit in a mini. So we actually had this mini, and we were trying to uh, squeeze all these fund managers in. And that was, uh, that was pretty fun. That was a pretty fun day. What is a campaign that was your best learning experience? Oh, I'm going to dodge that question by kind of saying that um, the thing is with, with, with each campaign we do, part of that being, you know, setting up that learning environment is kind of learning new things each time. And I think that's what makes me tick. Each time we approach a campaign or approach a technical implementation or, or whatever it is, it, it's trying to do it slightly differently. Trying to approach it from a different perspective each time is what motivates me. And, and I think in this environment, people often say financial services is not very innovative. That's where the innovation thing can really happen. I think that's what makes me come in every day. How do we do it different each time? What is your best advice for a first time head of marketing? Talk to a lot of people 
and don't don't rush to your decisions. You know, I would um, is it, give yourself time to, as we said before, fully kind of explore and evaluate what is going on. Because I talked to one person before, and it's almost um, mindfulness. How do you kind of come in first off and try and allow yourself to really soak in what's occurring and actually you know, sense everything that's going on before you actually start to make your decisions. So mindful marketing would be the, uh, the approach. I love that. Final question. What question do you never get asked that you wish you were asked more often? Are you hungry? <laughs> are you yes <laughs> always yeah it's uh it's gosh it's got to be it's got to be close to uh to pre-dinner right about now it has yeah yeah i've got to get back to uh yeah, it's, it's pre-dinner there'll be uh, a quick run to the station in a minute jump on the train so uh on the train another train snack before i get home for dinner with my wife tonight i love it Stuart, this has been awesome. Thanks so much for coming on the show. We really appreciate it. And uh, I'll follow up about my impending ski lessons because uh, clearly I need some help. My, I need to get you, you need to do a full TP assessment with me because I feel like, you know, equipment alone, I feel like I'm, I'm not going to be there. So, um, <laughs> Psychological is always a little rough for me, so there's going to be. We're, I love that framework. We're going to put that at the t- at the top of the show so that people uh, can, people can find that. Um, I love that. That's great. Great stuff. It's been a real pleasure talking with you. Take care. Thanks for listening to this episode of Marketing Trends. Marketing Trends is brought to you by Salesforce Pardot. World-class B2B marketers use Pardot to generate and nurture leads, close more deals, and maximize ROI at every stage of the sales cycle. Empower your marketing team to become revenue-generating superheroes, and let Pardot's data analysis keep an eye on the bottom line. Learn more by visiting pardot.com podcast, or click on the link in our show notes. You have eight seconds to make a connection or risk a click away onto the next topic. The difference lies in your ability to deliver relevant experiences to your audience across devices and across channels. But delivering on a really great experience is impossible without the right people and the right technology. You've got the right people, but your technology choices will make or break someone's experience with your brand. At the center of gravity of your digital experience, Brightspot Content Management System can deliver relevant content, personalized experiences, and cross-channel synergies to create unforgettable brand experiences. So you can be a bright spot in someone's day. Head over to brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends to find out right now. From global crisis to hunger relief efforts, The messages you deliver save lives, inform important decision-making, and help keep communities safe and sound. The speed and scale of your content needs to be delivered faster and on a much larger scale. Brightspot Content Management System has supported some of the world's largest brands to communicate on a global scale. 
From Johnson & Johnson sharing critical information with their customers to helping Whole Foods tell their brand story to a global audience. Brightspot is designed to handle rapid iteration and personalized messages to those you care about most. Learn more at brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends.